Okay, so we are in, the, for the last time, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, all right? Next time we will actually move on, and you don't have to look at the same verses again. But I have slowed down for this chapter, really the last couple of chapters, in order to try, because there's a lot of cans of worms that get opened that we need context for that they already had context for, like when he talks about tongues and prophecy, for example, um, that's going to create a lot of questions. So I took a whole sermon on tongues and a whole sermon on prophecy. That was two weeks right there. We took a whole sermon on love, which probably could do uh, a whole year on love, probably need to, uh, right? Uh, based on that prophetic word from Michael Cotton this morning about speaking kindly to your friends and family because you're going to be with them in heaven. That sounds like 1 Corinthians 13 to me, right? Um, and, and, and so we just slowed down a little bit. So this will be our last week in chapter 14. And we're, we're looking at the, the end of that chapter where Paul talks about or describes what we should be doing when we come together. What we're doing right now in this room, gathering together. What, why are we doing this? What's it for? What's the point? What's the purpose? Because there's a lot of ideas out there about what we're doing here. And quite often, we don't actually talk about those things. We just sort of learn it by absorbing it by how everybody else is acting around us. And so we just sort of show up, and then something like COVID happens, and we don't quite know why I should be showing up or shouldn't show up, why it matters, why it doesn't matter, what, what I should be expecting, what I shouldn't be expecting, all those things. So that's part of what I want to get into this morning. And it's really Paul's concern with the church in Corinth, because they're so divided, and it's so chaotic, and it's very self-focused. The, the root of their problem is selfishness. Everybody, like, I've got a gift, and I'm going to use it, even if it means, like, running over everybody else, or talking over everybody else, or maybe even yelling over everybody else. I get the feeling there was some yelling going on in this church. Or, I'm going to get my place at the table even if it means leaving other people out who were less fortunate than me. And I've got my favorite teacher, and I'm going to promote my favorite teacher, even if it means kind of elbowing out other people and being critical about who they like. And this is the problem, and this is what Paul's going to try to fix. We're also going to get into the infamous verse 34 and 35 this morning. Uh, we'll get there towards the end. Okay, so let's start with, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 to 33. We've read these verses before, I know. But we haven't really talked about them, right? So it says, What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret We've already talked about why interpretation and all that's important. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to, the, to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. So verse 26, right there at the beginning, is the target. That's kind of his thesis sentence. That's his point. 
That's the target. That's what we're shooting for. Let all things be done for building up. That is what we're doing. We can just go home, right? That's your bumper sticker idea, right? The, the goal of why we are here right now all at the same time is that all the church, the whole congregation, everyone gathered here would be built up, encouraged, strengthened, taught, mentored, discipled. The prime focus is given to the edification of the entire congregation together as one people. This is not about a collection of individuals coming together to have a personal, private experience with God, which is kind of the modern-day model for worship. As we all, the primary reason for coming is kind of thought of as I'm going because of what I get out of it. I go because I like the music, and I have an, we even call it a worship experience. What does that imply? That implies it's about your experience, that we're providing for you a spiritual experience. And it might be a real experience. Okay, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a fake experience, but that's the focus. And we design it around making sure that you have a moment with Jesus. And that is a wonderful thing for you to have a moment with Jesus. <clears throat> but it is not why we're here. At least not you're here. Okay? While we are here, is to be built up as a congregation together, not for you to be isolated. I had one of my favorite examples, and she's not here now in the church, but I'm sure she, she knows I love giving this example, and she wouldn't mind, all right? It was many years ago, I had someone ask me, can I bring, and uh, she plays an instrument, she wanted to bring an instrument to church that's loud. And she wanted to go in the back, and, and she had a way to make it so that only she could hear the sound of her instrument. She had a way to mute it and put headphones on. And so she wanted to, to, to kind of sit in the back. I won't bother anybody. She made sure she was being very sensitive to that. I won't bother anybody, but I really love to worship God with my instrument. And I said, no. Now, can you imagine why I would say no? Like, it's not bothering anybody. Why would you say no to that? Well, because that's not why we're here. We're not here for you to come and have a personal, private experience back in the corner. We need your, so either you play your instrument for everyone or don't bring it, right? Do that at home. That's what home is for. That's what, that's what your, your, your living room is for. That's what your prayer closet is for, for that personal private experience. There is something special about gathering together as the people of God and worshiping God together that you cannot get anywhere else. You cannot get it at home. You can't get it over the internet. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You can only get it physically together in the room, right? And that's what we're after here as a church on Sunday morning, right? It's about what you give, not what you get. And this is the attitude we need to have over when you're getting up in the morning and you're getting in your car and if you've got kids and you're trying to corral, wrangle them into the van all at the same time. It's like playing whack-a-mole. You get one dry and clothed and in the car, and another one's either not dry anymore or just not in the car, and you're not sure where they are. They just pop out, and you finally get them here at some point. Like, what you're fighting for is not just to get here. What you're fighting for is to get to a point where you can have a heart to give and not just to get. So you fight beyond just, I'm surviving and getting here, and your goal is to get to a point where you say, God, Use my gift. Somehow in between all of this madness of trying to make it to church on time, 
use my gifts, use me to build up the church this morning. That's what we're after. So this harkens us back to chapter 12, remember that? Where Paul uses the metaphor of a body to describe us, right? It's a very wonderful, simple metaphor. I'm not going to do it again because I already did it. But the idea is we're all members of the body put together to make one whole body. The prime focus there is, again, given to the edification of the entire body. It's about the whole body and that we are one in Christ together. We're the body together. If you separate all the members of the body, you no longer have a body. You have a death, not a body. When you do a thorough study of the word ecclesia, or some people say ecclesia, they're wrong, but that's all right, Um, which is just where we get the word church from in the New Testament, you'll find that it can mean more than a local gathering of believers, but it never means less. You follow that? It it can be more than just just the people in the room. It's the whole church. You can talk about the universal church, and we've talked about that before, the global church. I think it's a little better word, but... It's, it's all the people, yes, but it is never less than people gathered in a room, okay? The physical gathering of believers in one place for the building up is a direct expression of our being one in Christ. So theologically, I would say we are gathered here because we are one in Christ, not because we're all friends, but because he says we are. We are unified with Christ, therefore we are unified with each other, whether we like it or not, we are. We are the most unified organization on the planet and the most diverse because God says we are. This trick is acting like it, (laughs) right? But God declares us to be one, therefore we are one, therefore we gather together in the room and we mime it before creation. We mime, we represent what God, I don't like mimes, but the word works in that sentence, right? We, we, we act out, we display what he says about us that is true, is that we are one body, and so we gather together. That's what we're doing. That's why we can do this. Some of y'all are weird. And we would not be in the same room. And we would not be friends if we were not for Jesus. I'm not going to name names. You can all just, all just think it's someone else that I'm talking about. It's definitely not Gail Davis. Right? We're, this, but it's true about all of us, isn't it? The thing that binds us together is Christ. That he has said, you're in me and you can't be separated from me and that's that. We're going to be in eternity forever together. That's that you are and you're a part of the body. And you can be mad at the other part of the body that you don't like, but it, you are one. And that's what we're doing here. This is about more than coming together and singing some songs and going home. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There was one God, one spirit, one Father, one Lord, one King, one church, one body, one spirit, and we're the body. There's a real mystery about this whole thing. Just walking in the room. You're walking into something. You're expressing something 
of who you are. So our authority as ambassadors sent by Jesus with his authority is contingent on our gathering. This is amazing. Matthew 18, 19 to 20 says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's profound. It's a very short verse. Jesus just sort of slips it in there and says that and moves on. But it's astounding what he just said. Just the gathering together in the same room, in agreement, in Christ, one body. When we do that, there is a special, weirdly amazing authority he gives us. It's actually enough authority to unmember somebody. He's talking about church discipline in this verse. It's kind of the greatest authority there is to, re- to remove a member from the body, Remember a bo- remove a body part. So to create, quote the great prophet Hamilton, you got to be in the room where it happens. Thought of that a couple days ago. It's pretty good. You Hamilton fans? Any Hamilton fans? You don't have to raise your hands. It's all right. Yeah, it's all right. You got to be in the room where it happens. In order to have that authority, you got to show up. Simply put, there's more happening here than some nice words and some nice songs. So we've been talking about this. Your elder team has been talking about this. It's even last week, we had a, I think it was last week, we had a meeting. Jamie was even on vacation. He zoomed in for it. He, he gets extra bonus points. Thinking about how this changes the way we approach ministry in the church because we're growing. Uh, some, Sundays, some, excuse me, some Sundays it doesn't look like it. Other Sundays it does. We never know how many chairs to have out. But we're growing, and it raises a question. What do you do if this is true? Because we don't want to start with pragmatics. We don't want to start with practical considerations of there's not enough room or not enough seats. You start with what the Bible says about what the church is, about the vision Christ and Paul and the apostles set forth about what this is. How important is it that we all be in the same room together? Is it normal scripturally normal for us to be to, to have separation across the internet because we all know it's not the same people say that to me all the time it's just not the same what is it that's not the same is you're missing that gathered oneness agreement and the authority that comes with it and the presence of christ that comes with it that you just don't get any other way that's what's missing and that's a pretty big thing to be missing. So there's a couple of practical implications that that means for us. One is we don't believe at this point that doing multiple services is a good long-term strategy for dealing with growth. Because now there's two gatherings, which means there's, in a sense, there's two churches. Gathering and church and ecclesia are all the same word. This also means that like multi-site is probably not going to be, not that, there's a, not that we're even we're close to big enough to even need to talk about that. It feels kind of silly to even say that. But you never know what's going to happen, right? Revival might break out, and all of a sudden we're going, what do we do? 
And that feels a little radical because we're not standing in judgment over other churches that do that. I have many, many, many friends in confluence and outside of confluence that are doing multiple services and multiple sites, and they are wonderful churches, and I love them, and I appreciate what they're doing. This is not, this is just us looking at the Bible for ourselves, saying, what does God, what do we see God's vision for the gathering to be? And we just don't think it includes that. Maybe that's not radical to you guys, but it feels radical for me to say it out loud. Um, we're probably making some changes soon to our live stream. Not sure what. We haven't talked about that yet. I have ideas, but we got to talk about it because it's a team, not just a. I'm not the, the one. I'm not the decider, right? But that's going to change because we don't. We want what all the ministry we do to be consistent with what we believe Scripture says, right? I don't know how we're going to change it, but it will. So our, my encouragement to you, all of all our, your elder team, our encouragement to you is to be present. Just be here. Be together in whatever form and whatever shape you can do. Get, come here on Sunday. Go to small groups. Be around other believers because there's more going on there than what you get out of it. If you don't like your small group, say, well, I, I'm, just, I'm just not getting a lot out of small group. I, that's interesting because that's the least of my considerations. And that should be the least of yours. The greatest consideration, the greatest reason for you to come here and go there is because you're one with Christ and you're one with them and you want to express it together because Jesus said when we gather together, something magical happens in the Spirit. And I'm going to put my faith in that. I want to give to that, right? Maybe you're the missing thing that would make your small group amazing. Not that any of our small groups are not amazing. Just saying. This is tough when you're trying to choose a church. You know, I don't know who in the room right now is in that position, but it's tough because it's a hard decision to make. Because no church is perfect. And if it was, you just showed up and ruined it. Right? And so, how do you decide? It's a tough thing. You've got to be led by the Spirit, right? There's things you don't like. There's things you're going to like. There, there's things you wish were different. And you don't really know yet when you walk in the door if you might be God's supply for that thing you don't like. And so you've got to sit there and make these weird judgments, right? And hear from God. And I don't envy you. I don't ever want to have to look for a church again. I just plan on staying right here, if for no other reason, just because I don't want to have to look for another church. <laughs> I'm praying for you. So that's Paul's vision. It's why he's bringing this up in the first place. Is he sees, Paul always sees everything through the filter of being one, unified with Christ. And so he looks at the church and he says, why are you acting this way? You're one with Christ, therefore one with each other, so act like it. So stop competing and using all your gifts the wrong way and doing all this stuff. All right, so let's look at verse 34 to 35. Bum, bum, bum. Let me say a couple of things about this right out of the gate. Because you've probably already skipped ahead and read it. And you know where we're going. But one is I'm going to circle back to this topic. I'm only going to deal with these verses. Okay? But this is a can of worms. And I'm going to circle back when we're done with Corinthians and talk about the whole topic and look at all the scriptures in the Bible about this. All right? So if you feel a little disappointed and you've got lots of questions, welcome to the club. We'll, we'll deal with those later. I want to keep this in its context this morning, okay? Um, 
So, this brings us to the most controversial text in 1 Corinthians, by, probably by far. It, by a nose, it's more controversial than the whole head covering thing. Just by a nose, right? So there's a lot of debate over where this text belongs, by the way. Some manuscripts have it at the end of this chapter. Some have it right where it is. I'm not getting into that. I don't think it really matters that much. Maybe it matters a little bit. Um, but in terms of what you decide it means at the end, uh, I don't think it matters, okay? Um, I'm happy to have coffee with you and debate that, I guess. I'm not really happy to do that, but we can't. Um, so 1 Corinthians 14, 34 to 35, let's read them. It says, the women should keep silent in the churches and good night, right? <laughs> we'll just go home right there. <laughs> Uh, no, let's, let's keep going. We'll talk about it, all right? For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Just enjoy the, the moment, right? Everybody okay? So first step when you encounter a scripture like this, first thing you have to do, because you feel your heart rate increase, partially because you're worried about what I might say, partially because, but really because you're worried about what it might say, right? And you, you, it seems like it would be awful if you discovered that this means what it appears to mean as I just read it, which is I'm not allowed to, to speak in church or my wife or daughter is not allowed to speak in church at all and what are we doing here we we've already had women speak and so what does that mean right that's the fear that comes up right and so i say instead of just tossing that aside and trying to just not feel that way you have to face the feeling you have to face the conflict that happens in your heart man or woman over that and you have to get to the point where you're able to say god if if, remember the word if, don't, don't pull a clip out of the sermon without the word if in it. If you say, I'm not allowed to speak, I won't speak. If that's what you say. And you let that just hit you to get your heart in the right place, right? This is always the case with every scripture that's difficult in the Bible is you are faced with that choice, right? That's number one. Number two, remember that Paul is not speaking into a culture where this issue is a hair-trigger, explosive issue. And so he is not careful with his words. I'm going to try to be careful with my words. Sometimes I'm not, but I'm going to try, okay? And so that means we have to read him carefully. So we're going to read back through, and I'm going to help you a little bit, work through it, and look at what he's actually saying. The first problem we have with this verse is... Um, Paul doesn't seem to actually have a problem with women speaking in church. Just a few pages back in his letter, he says it's fine for women to prophesy and to pray. In fact, he encourages them to do so in 1 Corinthians 11, 5 through 16. That's the section on the head coverings. We're not going back over that one. But it's there. You can go back and read it. It's right there in plain English, plain Greek, right? He's encouraging women to speak, to pray, and to prophesy in church. So he's obviously not just banning, like saying you must be dead silent for the whole service because 
that's a contradiction. And the, when you read all the scholarship on this verse, that is always what they're trying to solve, is that apparent contradiction. How do we resolve the tension between these two statements from Paul right together in the same letter within a few pages of each other? And remember, I think this is one of the keys to this verse, actually, is that this was read usually in one sitting. It was not analyzed the way we're analyzing it, not that we're doing it wrong. But the context was much more apparent when you read it that way, right? We can also point to examples of women speaking, prayer, and prophecy in the book of Acts. I'm not going to go there either. Paul would have been aware of that and seemed to approve of that. So the question before us is how do we resolve the tension, okay? The question is not how do I make the Bible more palatable to me. That takes you down the wrong road, okay? The question is how do we resolve the tension between these two verses? I think the best understanding of what's going on here is that there's obviously a situation here that Paul and this congregation understood that we do not. That has been a regular occurrence in Corinthians. There is a context, things happening that, we, that they obviously understood and therefore didn't have to talk about and we don't understand and we don't see and so we're having to try to fill in the blanks. I think that's very much what's happening here. Based on the other problems in Corinth and Paul's restatement of his agenda, you notice here he says twice, verse 33 and verse 40. He, he says God is a God of order, not chaos. I'm trying to bring order, not chaos. And this is really the theme of chapter 12 to 14. We've talked about this a lot, that this is the problem, is he's trying to bring order where there's chaos, right? Some or all of the women in this church are causing a major disruption in their worship, quite possibly the disagreements over weighing prophecy. That's a good guess. It's a popular guess. We don't really know. Contextually, that seems to make sense. There's lots of, remember, we got like people prophesying over top of each other in the middle of what seems like a bunch of people like speaking out in tongues at the same time, and there's chaos. And it seems in the middle of that, there's a handful of women, or maybe all of the women, are arguing and fighting maybe over the prophecy or over some other issue, right? So picture that. Picture the chaos of that. I think a great clue is the word um, that translated in English to speak. It's in verse 34. I think it's really the heart of the issue where he says, what kind of speech is being prohibited? He says, don't speak. What kind of speech is he talking about? That word usually refers to a particular kind of speech, not just all speech. The primary usage is attacking, interruptive chatter, or interrogation. You see, that helps a lot. It's not all speech, because he's encouraging prayer and prophecy and that kind of speech. What is, he what is he saying don't do? He's saying don't argue, don't fight, don't be so aggressive and interrogate either somebody prophesying, prophesying, or maybe there's a teacher that they don't agree with, or something's happening, and they are yelling, arguing endlessly. That's the word. It's endless, unstoppable chattering and arguing. So he says it's better to have that discussion at home. Another possible issue is it was common in this culture at this time for it was normal for people to challenge a speaker someone doing a monologue, like I'm doing. It was normal to kind of ask questions and interrupt. But it was commonly understood that if you were kind of a novice, 
to the topic. You were supposed to educate yourself first, get up to speed, and then come and bring your argument. And the thought is that maybe what's going on here is that these women who have been held out of, unable to get educated, and kept out of their circles, suddenly are coming into the church, becoming Christians, and being liberated, and suddenly included for the first time, and they need to just get up to speed on what the Bible says first. That may be also what's going on here. But whatever it is, I'm just guessing. <laughs> That's all we're doing. What's clear to me is that Paul is not banning all types of speech. He's banning this kind of interrogation that's happening in an aggressive chattering. Some, some translations actually translate it as chatter. But I don't think that gets us. There's an aggression here that's not godly. And it, by the way, it wouldn't be godly for anybody. <laughs> it wouldn't be godly for anybody, male or female. So this is not permission for some of you guys to stand up and start yelling and screaming and going, hey, I don't like what you're saying. Alan can do it if he really wants to. He's an elder. <laughs> so he wouldn't even do that, right? So it appears that Paul is restricting the kind of disruptive speech that stops worship from proceeding, draws attention away from Christ, and creates division, just like all of the other types of activity we've been talking about. Better to have those discussions or arguments at home where understanding is more likely to happen and then where it will not derail gathered worship. Is that clear enough? So, when we gather, we gather as God's unified people because we are together united with Christ. And that applies to everybody and everything we do. We're not gathering for the sake of community either, by the way. That's a good byproduct, but that's not the point. It's not even to worship. It's to represent the unity in Christ that we share. We're gathering to express in physical form what is already true of us spiritually. We are unified with Christ and therefore each other. All right, so I want to give you some practical things this might look like to encourage you as a close. One, being ready to participate with the prayer, prophecy, scripture, testimony, or other exhortation. We have some nice examples this morning of that. So here's how you do that if you've never done this before. We always have one of our elder teams sitting over here, not just because they're banned and, and, and being punished. Uh, it's, <laughs> they're sitting there for a reason, which is to help you, right? One is to maintain some order, and part of that means like we have people who are hard of hearing. You need to use a microphone. You can't not use a microphone. That's not optional. It's not loving because you're not actually making yourself, remember we talked about, it's about being understandable. And if you can't be understood, what's the point? That's what Paul says. And so use the microphone, but, so there's an order thing, but also they're there to help you. Like if, if you come and say, hey, this is what's on my heart to share, they might coach you a little bit and say, hey, maybe just say this or stick to this, or, and they're going to make room for you in the meeting. So you don't have to just stand up and say, Heather! I have something to say. <laughs> You're right. You don't have to do that, right? That's, that just sounds mortifying. Like, I would feel weird doing that. And so uh, they'll make room for you and, and tell you when to go up. When this is a good time, go ahead, right? They're, they're there to help you, right? And then you give your thing. You say your thing, and they will might come behind you and explain whatever you just said or whatever it is and pray and lead the church. You don't have to do all that stuff either. 
So that's part of what this looks like practically, with this idea of we're gathered together, we're one body, many members. Another is sing loud. We don't think about this very often. Everybody here is on the worship team. Yeah. Yes. Some of you are on the worship team, and we do not give you a mic for a good reason. <laughs> but you are still on the worship team. You're still on it. When you, walked, when you walked in the door, you joined the team. We just don't give you a microphone. So sing loud. Let your voice be heard. I, I like to think of it like this. I'm very practical in this sense. I, I want to sing loud enough that the people within a couple of chairs around me know I'm singing. Right? Not so much that I'm blasting them out and they can't, because I, I, I sing off tune quite a bit, and so I don't want to make them sing off tune, but, but I want people to know I'm singing. I'm not mumbling to myself. Because why? It's not about me and my experience. I'm on the worship team. So what good is it being on the worship team if no one in the room can hear me, right? So I want somebody to hear me. Thirdly, come ready to use your gifts in any way the Spirit leads. So if you don't, if you don't have a prophecy or something that you would that makes sense to give at the microphone, okay? Because I don't want to leave y'all out. Like if you have a gift of faith or a gift of service or one of these gifts that's not kind of an upfront thing, figure out how to use it in this context. Just figure it out. That's not my job to tell you how. It's your job. Go figure it out. Use your gift. Pray about it. Ask God. He'll lead you. Coming a little early and staying a little later if possible. I know if you've got kids and they get cranky at the end and that's a whole thing. I'm not making a rule. I'm just saying it's a good idea. The best part of Sunday morning is right before the meeting starts and right after. The best part. Well, I shouldn't say the best part. The best part is the sermon, obviously. But after that, <laughs> after that, it's those, those 10 minutes before and after. It's worth getting up a little earlier, getting out the door a little faster to get here early enough to grab a cup of coffee and stand there, you know, assume the position. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. And you see people, and they talk to you, and they see you, and you get to know people. That's a good, that's a good reason to get up 10 minutes earlier. Volunteering to help put on the worship service behind the scenes. These beautiful children is one example. There's lots of other things that need doing. And, you know, if, if no one's asking you, just go find something to do. Look around. Treat this like your house. You see something that's not working, you just fix it. You see a need, you just fill it. You don't have to ask permission, just do it. That's how, how we think. Ultimately, what we're talking about is having a soft heart towards God, a sensitive, soft heart, and thinking in terms of giving, not getting. And it's not just Sunday morning. It's every time you gather, everything you do, whether it's meeting somebody for coffee, going to a small group, going to a men's group, a woman's group, Sunday morning, whatever it is. This is the heart. So I'd like to pray for us as I'm out of time. Why don't we stand up? God, we thank you for the church in Corinth. In so many ways, it's a negative example, but we need it to remind us 
of what it is we're doing here. God, so many of their problems we don't share. We have our own problems. But God, I pray that you would remind us this morning by your spirit that we are one church, one body, and one spirit. God, as Ed provoked us this morning, that you would stir up the gifts in us. That every one of our gifts, each one of us has different ones. We're all built differently by you. We have a different shape, a different perspective on the world, different set of gifts, different experiences. And every single one of them is desperately needed. There's no backups for anybody in this room. There's no alternate for anybody in this room. Everybody here is necessary. So God, I pray that you would stir up the gifts. God, that sense of responsibility to the body. God, that is shared for, between all of us. God, I pray that you would stir that up. God, that no one would see their gift as less than or greater than than anyone else's, but instead we would also see it as necessary and needed. And so, Lord, would you stir that up in us? God, I ask you for gifts of healing, faith, wisdom, prophecy, tongues, discernment, leadership, hospitality, God, every single one of the gifts that have been woken up in this church. And God, help us above all else to be loving towards one another. God, that we would be a people characterized by love and service towards each other. God, that we would do nothing that brings division or brokenness to your body. God, we look at the church in America just all the things happening, the brokenness that we see in so many churches, so many groups of churches. Scandals and cover-ups. Deception. All the opposite things of love. And God, it breaks our heart because we know that disqualifies us when we don't love. No matter how effective our gifts are, how much power comes out of us, how many miracles happen, how much money is raised, how many missionaries are sent, all of it is negated when we don't love. So God, we seek this above all other things. God, that this church, and God, I pray too just for confluence as a family, God, that we would be characterized by love above other, all other things the way we handle all of these issues, the way we use our gifts and navigate the culture, God, that this would be said of us, that they are loving people. So the Holy Spirit, we ask you to convict us, each one of us individually, that we would use our gifts and we would use them lovingly. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.